Today I'm Bob Carr, Director of the Australia-China Relations Institute at the University of Technology, Sydney. Welcome to our podcast. Today I'm joined by John Matthews, who's Professor of Strategy at the Macquarie Graduate School of Management in Sydney. He teaches programs in strategic management, international business and industrial dynamics. For the past several years, Professor Matthews has focused on the greening of industry with an emphasis on the role of China. And this year, his new book, Global Green Shift, was published by Anthem Press. Interested listeners can visit the book's webpage, www.globalgreenshift.org. And today we're going to be discussing China's role in this global green shift and the potential opportunities for Australian business. Now, John, welcome to the program. Thank you, Bob. Pleasure, the, pleasure to be talking with you. The, the first thing a general listener would want to ask about is the, the filthy air of Chinese cities, that experience of walking outside your hotel and not being able to see across the road. You must have some insights into this, given the direction of your study. For how much longer will Chinese cities be burdened with that level of pollution? Well, as you say, Bob, China has paid a terrible price for the huge scale of its industrialization. Its ambitions are just staggering, staggeringly large. It was a terribly poor country, but it had big ambitions to uh, industrialize in the way that it had had seen uh, Western countries and then Japan and then Korea and then Taiwan. These countries all achieved wealth through industrialization and China wanted to be able to do the same um, and it chose the pathway that other countries have chosen, that is using fossil fuels because fossil fuels were convenient, they were low cost, but they had the penalty that they uh, provided this terrible pollution, they generated this terrible urban pollution. Now, the other countries all suffered from that too maybe Japan and Korea and Taiwan a little bit less so because they were smaller. Um, But in China's case, uh, everybody knows and the Chinese leadership recognise that the pollution is is unbearable and it has to come to an end. So how how do they, as the world's largest manufacturing power, with now the world's largest energy system that drives that manufacturing, how do they clean it up? And uh, that's the biggest question in China right now, and uh, quite clearly they've made a a choice, they've made a strategic choice to go with a green shift. Now, in the West we talk about a green shift uh, as something that is driven by climate change, but you've got to put on a different set of, uh, of spectacles when you're looking at China, because really it's all, in China it's all about scale and it's all about a shift in energy that will give China energy security, energy security and resource security. They're the, the drivers of, uh, of China's uh, policy shifts. And let me just give you an example. China has been raising its oil imports from around the world. So it's importing oil from Africa, from Latin America, from the Middle East. In Africa, for example, it was importing oil from South Sudan. Becomes the world the largest importer of oil from South Sudan. As soon as that happens, what what happens in South Sudan? A civil war breaks out. Now, where did that civil war come from? Nobody knows. Nobody's saying. You know, mum's the word. But it's certainly disrupted exports of oil from South Sudan to China. 
And that's the kind of geopolitical limit that China can see if it were to pursue a fossil fuel strategy, which made the West wealthy and which might have made China wealthy had it been able to pursue that. But instead, it's seen the necessity for going in a different direction. And having made that choice, which it's done with determination and ambition, having made that choice, now it's profiting from it. And uh, with this shift uh, in the United States under the Trump administration, away from leadership in green industries and clean industries, handing China leadership, well, of course, the new industries of tomorrow in electric vehicles, in green power, in greening cities, all of those issues, China is being handed world leadership. What a, an amazing turn of events. Yeah, how secure is that, that position? You've got all the creativity of America, uh, Silicon Valley and all the rest. Um, is China really firmly in the leadership here? Because that, that would be a remarkable development to wrench from the United States, leadership I, in solar and all the rest. I, I quite agree. And, of course, China is a huge country that's in the process of catching up with the technology of the West. So China... Uh, it goes through various stages and it's moving from catch-up, from mm. imitation to innovation. It has all the ambitions to be the innovative leader, but of course it's not there yet. Um, so in terms of solar photovoltaics, for example, China is the world's leading production power, but of course it's not the leader in technology yet. In wind power, it's the world's leading producer of wind turbines and generator of wind power, but it's not yet the world technology leader, but it has every ambition of being there and it's building these huge How far off is it from industries. being the technology well, leader? Well, they say in their, in their 13th five-year plan that by 2020, mm. they will already be up there amongst the world's leaders with Japan, with the United States, in terms of patenting new technology. Yes. That's, that's their ambition. By 2025, they intend to be a world leader. So within less than a decade... You could say China intends to move from imitation to innovation, including in what they call these strategic emerging industries, electric vehicles, solar photovoltaic, batteries and energy storage. All of these areas where a country like Australia could also be making a contribution to China's green shift. Um, the, back, back to the question I started with, when you speak to people in China... Are they confident that they can bring down the those shocking levels of, of air pollution? It's, it's certainly a, a bad image for the country to live mm. with, but, but for the residents choking on it, it must be a major indictment of their, their system of government. Well, clearly uh, what uh, the uh, Chinese leadership uh, intended was that the country would grow wealthy and then it would clean things up. But as you say... Uh, in growing wealthy, it's created this unbearable uh, pollution, urban smog. In fact, people, uh, scholars have, uh, have said that it's probably the world's worst kind of smog in that it combines industrial emissions with uh, uh, vehicle emissions, with dirty truck and commercial vehicle emissions, 
all of these are combining to create you know a smog that is worse than anything previously encountered. Our smog is better than yours. Our smog is better than yours. Is, exactly. is Del Delhi starting to get a bit of publicity about De the worst? Delhi, is what, right. One calculation said yeah. that it's four times worse than a Chinese city, but those of us who've, who've been unable to see across the road or out our, anything out our hotel window in a Chinese city wouldn't be able to believe that. Is that equally lethal, the smog in an Indian city? Uh, look, I, honestly, I, I, I can't answer no. that, but let, let's assume the worst. I've let, just got a morbid, a morbid let's, interest. Let's, let's assume that, that it is. Um, and, of course, India uh, is uh, following very much in the footsteps mm. of China, perhaps 10 or... 15 years uh, mm. in, in behind China, but they, they clearly see China mm. as the model mm. uh, to follow in the 21st mm. century. They've looked at China's model of state-driven infrastructure development. They can see the shocking infrastructure in India. They can see how China yep. Chinese industries have benefited from the infrastructure boom, and uh, that's what they intend to follow uh, yep. in India with export-driven uh, industrialization, just as China yep has been able to accomplish. If you, but when, when you go to China in the 2020s, would you expect the air to be markedly cleaner than it is now, given all you've looked at in, in China's exploration of clean technology? Mm. Well, I, frankly, I would, uh, because uh, you're, you're a frequent visitor to China, so am I, uh, and almost every visit you think, my God, you know, wh where did those changes come from? Mm. It's, it's just astonishing, the, the pace of change in China, and therefore the pace of the cleanup uh, is, is likely uh, to be astonishing. And given the extraordinary determination in which China is shifting its automobile and, uh, and transport sector towards electric vehicles, in the name of uh, cleaning up their emissions and making the air, the air pollution, less intolerable, uh, then uh, one would uh, expect uh, that the, the shift will, will occur very, very rapidly. And, of course, the world's automobile industry is betting on that. So com companies are, are now creating uh, huge investments in the Chinese electric vehicle industry in anticipation of the world's largest market for electric vehicles mm. being uh, created there. Yeah. I noticed that you pick up in your writing something I came across in UN reports, and that is that urbanisation is associated with a diminishing impact of humans on the planet. That is, urbanisation pulls in people from the countryside mm. and concentrates them um, in a different environment. Mm. A lot of people would find that conclusion surprising. I did when I first came across mm. it. But it's uh, an interesting truth, isn't it? Well, uh the, the reality is that uh, China's story of modernization is not just industrialization, but it's also, as you say, urbanization. Urbanization plus industrialization. And it's a good question. Why is, in, why is urbanization, an urbanized form of industrialization, likely to be cleaner? Um, because we all have the view of... Uh, industrialising countries, urbanising with shanty towns. You look at the shanty mm. towns in Brazil and you think, oh, well, that's what urbanisation mm. means. But, of course, in China's case, urbanisation means state-directed urbanisation uh, with uh, large, uh, large housing developments, large industrial developments spaced around the city. Uh, and that kind of guided development 
uh, then leads to concentration of population with all the benefits that that creates for economic density and economic growth uh, without the consequent uh, rise in pollution and, and carbon emissions. So you concentrate the clean energies, you concentrate the clean transport in the urbanised centres, so much so that China is now developing more than 50 uh, examples of what they call eco-cities. Now, you tell me another country in the world that has the ambition of moving its green shift from industry and transport and power generation all the way up the scale to new city creation, new eco-cities. And I've visited them. Eco-city of Tianjin, for example, just outside uh, Beijing. You whip there in the fast train, uh, 20 minutes from one city to another, and there you see the eco-city with its completely renewable transport systems, its underground waste collection systems with waste-to-energy systems. It's all quite astonishing, but it's there as a model for city development in the future. So, so that's the, that, that program means designating cities that will be showcases of the, the most advanced eco-technology. Exactly right. And uh, the, the cities themselves, the eco-cities, are actually quite small. So Tianjin eco-city, relative to Tianjin, the huge port mm. city, it's, it's quite small. But as you say, it's a test bed. It's, it's demonstrating the, the feasibility of the eco-city technologies, particularly the waste collection, the power generation. You know, in, in microgrids are there being demonstrated to work very, very well. They combine multiple uh, sources of energy supply, renewable supply, multiple uh, systems of, of distribution and demand, and then uh, ultimately... Uh, multiple systems of, uh, of waste collection and waste Indeed. to energy. Well, that's that's uh, terrifically exciting. Um, we uh, the whole planet's got a, a huge stake in the Chinese pulling this off, mm. but not simply because what they do within China's territory and the contribution that makes to cleaner air for the planet and the sol salvation of the oceans, but the technologies it, it gives to Africa or Australasia. Mm. Well, that's right. I mean, the next big story in industrial development is certainly going to be Africa. And Africa has a clear model in China that it doesn't have to go through the fossil fuel pathway, that uh, with all the abundant uh, natural resources in Africa of, uh, of uh, wind power, of solar power, of hydropower, uh, there's absolutely no reason for Africa to see its future uh, through that fossil fuel pathway, but instead to follow uh, the new China model, the green shift that is underway in China, uh, to bear its, its full fruit in Africa. Now, there are some examples. In North Africa, for example, uh, where there's abundant sunshine, of course, in Morocco and Libya and these countries, well, Morocco is already uh, a leader in concentrated solar power. And why shouldn't it be? And, of course, it has the export pros prospects of sending uh, that uh, renewable solar power across the Mediterranean to be a large supplier for renewable energy into Western Europe. Uh, so that's, that's the way we can see uh, Africa following a, a feasible uh, industrialisation strategy.
Are there opportunities for Australia in linking themselves to what China's powering ahead doing? Well, we've got two schools of thought, as you well know, in, in Australia. One is to pursue the, uh, the fossil fuel exports, which dominate our economy at the moment, the coal exports, the gas exports, even uh, some offshore oil as well. So, you know, we're, we're certainly a fossil fuel power. That's how great companies like uh, BHP have, have grown strong. Uh, but that's clearly not our future, given these ten tendencies in both China and India and uh, Brazil and ultimately in Africa. Clearly, that's not uh, a future uh, for a country like Australia. Meanwhile, we have other uh, companies that are very, very focused uh, on the uh, green shift, and they're developing the kinds of technologies uh, that could be taken up, could be sold to China, could be licensed by Chinese companies. So uh, take the example of Redflow in energy storage. There's a battery company uh, in Queensland. It's developing a liquid storage battery, which is very good for large-scale energy storage uh, applications. And there is the opportunity for Redflow to sell its technology, to license its technology uh, to China, and to see it's uh, scaled up in the way that the Chinese are very good at doing. So it's not a case of Australia trying to compete directly with Chinese mass production, but with developing the technologies that can then be scaled up by China. So microgrids as well. Look at Carnegie over in Western Australia. They're a world leader in developing microgrids. There's a technology that could be uh, licensed across to uh, China and, and other, other industrializing countries in the Asia-Pacific. Think about solar fuels as opposed to fuels that are fossil fuels uh, being exported from Australia, we could be using solar power to electrolyze water and produce totally clean hydrogen. Uh, and that hydrogen could then be concentrated and shipped offshore into the developing uh, Asia. That's what uh, can be described as solar fuel, and it could be as large an export as we have at the mm. moment from fossil fuels like gas. And there's, there's a future for Australia. If only we have the imagination and the courage to seize such opportunities. They're great ideas, John. Strong recommendation for listeners interested in reading John's book, The Global Green Shift, to get hold of it and pursue the notion that Australia's got opportunities in linking itself to this revolution being driven strongly in China. John, just one final question to clarify this for us. You would see Chinese demand as being the most important factor in the world in driving this shift to a green future. It's certainly that it's the world's, you know, it's, it's emerging as the world's largest market uh, and it's, it's building uh, demand for these uh, green products. Uh, but it's also important to mention that it's state-driven demand. So the government the state plays a very, very significant role in shaping demand and driving investment in the appropriate directions. And that's what's missing, I think, in uh, Western discussions and the discussions in Australia. There's missing. What's missing is a sense of the role that the state can play in shaping investment choices by the private sector. Well, Professor John Matthews, thank you very, very much, uh, author of Global Green Shift. I'm Bob Carr. Thanks for listening to us. If you enjoyed this episode, you can subscribe to the ACRI podcast on iTunes or SoundCloud. 
Our next episode, the final episode of the year, will feature Colin Hawes, Associate Professor and Director of Courses in the UTS Law Faculty. He will be speaking with James Lawrenson, Deputy Director of ACRI, about developments in China's legal system. To find out more about ACRI's research and events, visit our website, australiachinarelations.org. And don't forget to follow us on Twitter, at ACRI underscore UTS. Thanks for listening.